Howdy. If you haven't already, make sure to follow us on all the socials. We are at History and Film on Instagram and HIF Pod on Twitter. My personal Twitter account is at TrackNerds, and you can always email me at Simmons at TrackNerds.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons, and we're kind of shifting gears again after doing world history in 100 or so movies. We've started a tournament to determine the most interesting person that we covered, the most interesting person in world history. We've started with 32 people. We've cut it down to 16. We now have a cut down to eight. And I'm joined by not just uh, Logan, but also uh, Joe Hubner. So first, Logan, uh, how's it going? Good, man. I'm excited to uh, to get in this round of eight here. And I'm, I'm even more excited for these episodes because I don't have to do as much like hardcore in-depth research and write like a five-page biography for every person <laughs> on this list now. Because I already did that. No, that, that was actually my question was, uh, how do you feel about having to do less research this time around? Because we already did all the research <laughs> in the past. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And now we can, you know, we have Joe here who's like an actual history teacher. So we can like lean on him to actually have, you know, knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> you taking a drink there? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Out of the... Uh, Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I had this actually last time when Joe was on. I don't know if you can read that. It says, tell him I'm coming and hell's coming with me. It's my Wyatt Earp tombstone mug that I've been drinking out of every single recording session since uh, Wyatt Earp lost to QE1, who also uh, could not be vanquished by Cardinal, Cardinal Richelieu either. So. She, she's savvy. She is savvy. She's Quite a, a powerhouse, but RIP Wyatt Earp. She is a survivor. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yes. Yeah, so. The plan kind of from the beginning of the tournament was to bring uh, Joe on here when we got to the Elite Eight to kind of help us break ties. But uh, for those that have been following the tournament, he did make a cameo preview appearance to help us break a tie between Julius Caesar and Ramses II. So, Joe, how's it going? Which, which is weird because there's a lot of overlap in this matchup as well with both of those with that previous matchup. That's a good point. Oh, right. With Julius Caesar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Julius Caesar, and again, Egyptian connection there, oh, too. Oh, Egypt. Oh, interesting. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm doing really well. Happy to be on here. You know, like I said, you, you approached me with this early in the year and thought it's such a cool idea. So hopefully I can add a little bit to the discussion and help us solve the uh, most interesting <laughs> person in history. Okay, and then I actually want to get, get a little more into it as far as... so. Did you always like history in high school? How did you get into history in college? And what kind of led you to learning about history and, and getting into teaching and all that? Great, great question. Actually, I, I loved history growing up. Um, felt like I did really well in history. But initially in college, I was going to go business. And I just found that not all that interesting once I started. And uh, so then it became, you know, what else would I like to do? And I always thought being a teacher would be fun. So gave it a chance. and. Uh, initially thought math because that was actually my strongest subject in high school, uh, but Calc two sucks. So <laughs> it does. <laughs> uh, change of plans. Change of plans. I was like, okay, well, I like history. I'll check that out. Had some really awesome history professors in college that uh, really helped solidify that decision, and uh, it's been great ever since. Awesome, awesome. And so, what is your what is your current position? What is your current teaching position? Like, what classes exactly do you teach? So. 
that's actually interesting because <laughs> this might be a shocker. I actually got out of history this this year. Oh, well, hang uh, on. I We're going to get somebody else to... <laughs> All right, well, hey, Joe. Yeah, it was good to hear from you, uh, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, we'll see you later. You might want to cut that and we can tell my previous okay, but yeah. background as a history teacher. Yeah, let's do that. So, <laughs> so I'll explain that later. It's a, it's a really awesome position that I'm in right now. But past three years, I've taught world history. Last year, I actually taught AP world history as well. So that was a, a pretty cool experience. And then actually my first two years of teaching, I also taught an elective that was world history in the media, which is pretty awesome because that's literally your guys' podcast. Oh, right. Uh, right. You know, watching history films and, and comparing them to, you know, the true story. Obviously, you guys have covered way more movies than we would cover <laughs> in a semester. But it's super cool just getting introduced to your guys' podcast because... I taught that as a high school class, and it was super cool. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, what, are, what are some of your favorites that stand out, like as far as like some of the movies you kind of most enjoy going over with the class to kind of break down? So we, I focused solely on modern world history uh, during that class. It was uh, the Renaissance Forward. I'm trying to think what all we covered in there. We didn't really cover much with the Renaissance. There's not a lot of good movies about the Renaissance, but we covered uh, Luther with the mm, yep, Protestant yep. Reformation. Yep. We covered the Three Musketeers, which I believe you guys actually covered yeah, as well, yeah. <laughs> which obviously there's a lot of fictional stuff in there, but just right. a fun movie to introduce you to what's going on in France. So as a history teacher, because like when we when Rich and I come to this subject, we're like movie fans first and then we're like doing the history stuff, whereas you're a yeah. history teacher who's then watching the history movies in class, like in that context. So for you, yeah. does the historical inaccuracy bother <laughs> you as like for Rich and I, it, it, it does to some extent, but also we're able to see like, oh, okay, some of these changes have to be made to, you know, condense multiple people into one, like for the sake of story. But does it does it take away from the movie for you the historical inaccuracy in some of these movies that we have covered or that you've covered in your class? No, because I think I get it to the same degree that you guys do. Um, you know, there's some things that like the history story is great, but if you were really to tell the true story, it's going to be super drawn out. You're going to lose some of that dramatic effect that you need in a movie. You know, there's obvious, obvious instances like where you said where they'll combine characteristics of two people into a character for the movie because separate, they don't give the same effect. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we look for those historical inaccuracies. And I think that you got to take both aspects for what they are. You know, it is a film, it is meant to entertain, uh, but it is a historical based film. And so as long as you can understand where those historical inaccuracies are, um, you know, I think that's, that's the point that you need to get across. Yeah, because like we've talked about before, like, obviously, in like certain military movies and stuff, there's stuff that bothers me that doesn't bother Rich. Yeah, for sure. Or like Rich was talking about watching people in movies where they're like running or playing a sport or like lifting or something like that. And like, he'll see inaccuracies that bother him that might not bother the average viewer. So I just wondered if there was like that, <laughs> but for history teachers in history movies. Yeah, I actually did pull up while we were talking there. I pulled up the list of the movies that I showed. Because again, there is some overlap with stuff that you guys watched. I know you guys watched 1492, the Columbus movie. Um, actually, oh, that's, we, didn't, we didn't do that one. That's one we're going to talk about maybe when we get to American history. Oh, okay. You haven't watched that yet. I, I think we decided not to do that one because we heard that it sucked. It's awful. Okay. Don't watch it. Okay. okay, good. <laughs> I showed it my first year and I cut it the second year because I was like, the kids. I got a little nervous there. I was like, uh, I don't, I, we're not going to talk about that. 
Oh, it's it's so it's so bad. Don't don't show it. <laughs> well, hey, we'll talk. We'll actually, we'll pull this clip, and that'll be like instead of talking about it on an episode, we'll do. Here's why we're not talking about it. There you go. Yeah, we'll say that 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 was our due diligence. Yeah, I showed it showed it to kids, and it was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> we watched, uh, like I said, Three Musketeers, Luther, Master and Commander, oh, which yeah. is actually a really really interesting one. Getting the the true story to it because there's a lot of things changed in that one. Yeah. Zulu Dawn. I don't know if you guys watched that. I did Zulu with Michael Caine, but I think that's different than Zulu say, Dawn. Is that, yeah, yeah. Is, that this, is that Zulu or what is Zulu Dawn? It's Zulu Dawn is the prequel, if I recall. Okay. It's huh. a prequel released afterwards. Right, right. But it it's a pretty dull movie, too. Ah. <laughs> uh, we watched Les Mis, the, not the musical version, the Liam Neeson movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I've never seen that one. It's all right. Which I, I loved it. Oh, it's really? fantastic. Okay. okay, I haven't seen it for a while. I really, really enjoyed it. The Last Samurai, which I actually thought was funny because we actually watched that in our world history class. Oh. I don't know if Logan remembers that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Back with Hibbs? Yeah, I do. To, yeah, with, with, yeah, with Hibbs, yeah. Kid. Shout out Mrs. Hibbs if she's in the audience. We'll, 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 we'll send her a link to this one. So did uh, in Last Samurai, just real because I'm going to go off on every tangent here I can think of, right? Might as well. So was there an actual Western guy who did kind of go over to Japan? Or is that even that character fabricated or that server fabricated? Or is it kind of like uh, some people did those kinds of things? There, the Tom Cruise character is entirely fictional. Okay, that's kind of what I thought. There was obviously Western influence going on during the Meiji Restoration. Okay. So that's, they, they took this character and there was samurai uprisings. But it wasn't this whole noble cause that the last samurai pitches to you. It was more like, we're losing our power. We better do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. And so, yeah, that's the, that's the fabrication there. So, very loose fictional connection for some of that. But Okay, let's, uh, we can go ahead and get started on today's matchup. So, the people who made the Elite Eight. And, of course, we had the four different regions initially. And we had two people from each region of eight. And then we reshuffled. So we have Cleopatra is the top remaining seed from the Ancient Ones bracket. And then Puyi was the second seed to come out of the Modern Times bracket. So they are faced off here against each other. And I kind of wanted just to do a little bit of a review. Obviously, we already did the full biographies, so we don't need to do that again. But if you want to do the, hear the full biographies, check back to the, the previous episodes. But we'll still kind of review a lot of the things. So. Puyi from The Last Emperor was the last emperor of China and... At time of recording. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I, don't know if, yeah, I don't know if Joe heard what you said, but... Uh, I, I said at time of recording. Oh, he's the last emperor of China at the time of recording. Right, right. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of a running joke on the know. podcast, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, whenever you can say, yeah, whenever you can say uh, at time of recording to something that it'd be funny if it were to happen again in the future, it's we get a kick out of it. <laughs> my, my favorite one so far was when we were doing the the Ramses full bio, and you, you talked about that battle. You said, "Yeah, it was it's the largest uh, chariot battle ever, you know, in history." I said, "Yeah, at time of recording, <laughs> bring them back." <laughs> you never know. You never know. Yeah. So yeah, we uh, Logan and I had a little bit of a debate when we were doing Puyi versus Churchill on on just as far as agency. So Puyi's lack of any real agency throughout his life uh, was kind of a uh, made Logan kind of vote ag- against him, whereas I kind of saw it as yes, but he also went on perhaps the most interesting roller coaster ride of anybody in human history. So his, yeah. his life was still interesting, even if he didn't necessarily direct a lot of those events. 
So yeah, I just kind of went from emperor to spoiled playboy to puppet emperor to political prisoner to gardener and a little bit of a journalist kind of later in his life. Anything we missed on Puyijo that you noticed in kind of listening to us talk about it as far as obvious oversights or additional comments on Puyi? So this was actually a, a really interesting matchup to start off for the Elite Eight because as a world history teacher, neither of these characters really are that prevalent in high school curriculum. Mm. You know, Cleopatra comes up just because of the Roman Republic and Caesar and uh, her connection to Mark Antony, whereas Puyi is literally a footnote right, right, in world history curriculum. Like, he's barely mentioned, like, I would argue... I bet over half of high school world history textbooks don't even mention Puyi at all. Really? Okay. Because, wow. you know, his only significance really is that he's the puppet leader of Manchukuo. Right, right. Which is literally just yeah. a sham for the Japanese to influence their power there. Right. Well, that was kind of my argument was that he didn't. He didn't actually do anything. Like he was, he, he didn't actually do anything. He was there. Like, <laughs> but he, does that make him not interesting? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. You know. Right. You know. But I'm saying he, he, you know, he's not like a mover and a shaker. Like he's just, yeah. he's just kind of hanging out in the palace and like being emperor. He's just existing. So to answer your question, I had to do a ton of research oh. for Puyi <laughs> and uh, <laughs> did a little bit for Cleopatra, but didn't felt a little better about her. But uh, I thought I thought you guys did a great job covering both of these people in the bios that you gave last week. There wasn't really a whole lot that I think you didn't address. I tried to do a lot as far as like the context of the situation, the the world scheme right. of what's going on leading into those characters and kind of why the events in their life are happening. But overall, I thought you guys did a great job. So, which which with Puyi is overwhelming. If you start to break, we just kind of said like, and there was civil war in China at the time. But you could do the yeah. deep dive on all of <laughs> yeah. that with all the different factions and the fighting there. But we basically decided oh, not to mess. because it's it, it's irrelevant to Puyi himself and what he was experiencing as he was just being, you know, spoiled by eunuchs that he was torturing in the Forbidden City at the time. Which, there is some some crazy stuff about that, too. I didn't realize, they literally had to wear their junk around their neck on a necklace. Oh, I missed that one. Okay. Oh, yeah, how did we miss that? <laughs> they had, like, a jar. How was that never brought up in any of the Puyi episodes we did? <laughs> While they were working in the palace, they had to wear a jar around their neck that had their junk in it. Oh, I'm crazy. I'm curious, did the movie have those with those jars, and we just didn't realize what those were, Logan? I'd, I'd be curious to look at stills from the movie if they actually did have the, the jars around their neck there, and it just was kind of a, a detail that we missed. I don't know. I kind of wrote down a couple of just highlight notes and then maybe a few other things that we didn't quite get to. So you have a guy who was treated like a deity as a kid. Uh, Logan mentioned he wore new clothes literally every day. He was kind of this ping pong puppet, I wrote, as different factions were kind of wanting to use him as justification for them being the ones in charge at the moment. The political prisoner for 10 years in a communist Chinese camp after the Russians gave him back. Uh, and then they don't kill him. They actually just uh, set him loose, and he just kind of is a regular citizen, writes his autobiography uh, after he gets out. And yeah, just just kind of fascinating there. Was uh, way more of a sadist 
then I think the movie lets on. It shows a little bit of that with him as a kid. But 100%. again, Logan mentioned that that continues well after into adulthood. He's still kind of, yes. even when he's, uh, actually the video I just watched before we got on here talked about how when he was the puppet emperor of Manchukuo, he actually might have been more cruel than he was when he was emperor in the Forbidden City. Yeah, well, and he's like the perfect person to discuss when you're talking about like nature versus nurture when it comes to like I wrote that down down. for sure that's a great point I mean maybe he was you know born like that but also he was literally told from the I mean not from the day he was born but from the time he was like two years old that he is god emperor everything you do is the best thing ever and no one is above you and you can do literally whatever you want yeah that's a great point yeah just had his horrible you know tendencies reinforced for his entire life so right you noted even as the puppet master puppet ruler of manchukuo he was torturing people but did you catch he was even still allowed to have servants when he was in soviet prison oh really and was still he said he would have them flogged still in prison if they disobeyed his orders oh my god can you imagine being one of those dudes (laughs) like not only are you a servant, but you're a servant of a guy who's in prison. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's about as low as you can get. Oh, man, that sucks. Because it was saying he, he still never brushed his own teeth or tied his own shoes until the communist reforms after the Soviet prison. Which, actually, I think in the movie, they in the Chinese prison, they even show one of the other Chinese prisoners, like, wanting to tie his shoes and kind of, you see what he did to some of himself, but, like, even then they show a little bit of... Uh, his fellow prisoners there, at least maybe that might have been more voluntary that they wanted to help out the former emperor. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Oh, and the one other detail, this isn't necessarily Pu Yi related, but it's uh, it's more of a side note thing, and we like our side notes here. Because I think I kind of missed when you explained this, Logan, how the the woman, the old woman at the beginning of the movie, who is the basically the empress or empress dowager and who names Pu Yi her successor and then dies the next day or whatever. Yeah. I think what I, what, what I just failed to realize until today was... She had actually been the de facto ruler for decades at that yes. point. Okay, I was it's like forty-seven she, years. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she basically she was doing the thing where she kept making sure she was above the men that were nominally the emperor, but she always made sure she held the real power. I guess I thought that was just a matter of right. weeks that she was older, whereas she'd actually been in charge of China for half a century nearly. So that was kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then Puyi was just uh, a, a nephew of the actual emperor before her or whatever right did uh you guys have to remind me because i watched your guys bios first before doing my own research mm-hmm. trying to like pick up other things you'll you'll have to remind me uh did you guys talk about his sexuality much on that bio because uh, there's some interesting stuff with that too we did a little bit because we talked about how when he was well when he was puppet ruler his wife not the one who divorced him the other one that stayed married to him got pregnant by her chauffeur and they talked about they said something about he was oh what was the term they used like it was like biologically incapable of having kids which i guess is like a a nice euphemism in china to say that someone's gay without saying they're gay yeah caught that as well did you catch that he had the newborn baby poisoned in front of the mom Okay, so we heard different stories on that. Yeah, I was gonna say I saw different accounts of I I know for uh, basically it's like known for a fact that he had the baby killed. But I had heard poison. I had heard like smothering. I think I saw one that said he like had the baby thrown into the boiler of the palace. Okay, that's Uh, that's the one I heard this morning. Yeah, either way it I mean, whatever is the truth, any of those are bad and result in the death of his of the child. 
So yeah, <laughs> any way you cut it, he's a fucking monster. <laughs> right. No, I caught I caught lots of interesting stuff about his, uh, you know, not being biologically suited for uh, reproduction. Like there was stuff about the uh, what they call them, the page boys. Do you guys see anything about that? Oh, I, which uh, I don't 100% know what their role is as a page boy, but that he would uh, was known to sexually molest these little boys and that yeah. if they fled, they would be flogged. And Yeah, uh-huh. we, talked, we talked about that. We, I, I didn't know that it was a multiple time thing. Like, I didn't know it happened more than once, but they did. Um, I did talk about one of his, it was a, yeah, a servant or something. I don't remember if it was a, if it, the term page boy was in there, but basically a male servant of his who he would molest, you know, sexually abuse, and the servant tried to run away, so he had the servant flogged, and then during the flogging, the servant was killed, and then he had the floggers flogged for killing his servant. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, what a monster. huge, bizarre area. Well, yeah, you wonder when he has this reputation for being a sadist, to what extent did it become a, you know, sexual sadistic kind of thing that just didn't get written about to an extent that we're hearing about it today, but it definitely makes you speculate. I'm sure that if he had those, you know, those sadistic or sociopathic tendencies, um, you see that actually a lot in like, you know, the early life stories of serial killers, right? where the sociopathic tendencies were, you know, the violence and the sex wires get crossed Mm. at an early age and uh those two you know are intertwined yeah so i'm i wouldn't be surprised i'm obviously not a uh you know uh psychologist or or (laughs) any kind of uh cognitive you know medical professional but i would not be surprised if uh if that was the case i did take note of this as well sorry it's a little bit of a What's the word I'm looking for? Tangent or side note. Yeah, Tangent yeah. for what we we're... Love, we love our side notes. We do side notes on side notes, so it's more than welcome. <laughs> but I think this was one of the things that wasn't noted as well, and I thought was interesting. The initial connection to him with Japan, the initial Japanese interest with him, uh, when there was the 1923 Great Kanto earthquake, oh, wow. he donated no. what was the equivalent of 700000 in today's U.S. currency. Oh, as like a donation to Japan, which might have been trying to to curry favor or something? Yeah, and I'm not 100% sure what his motivation was for that, because it seems totally out of character. Oh, right. Based on his his early life. Hey, I'll help Uh, out. But (laughs) yeah, yeah, here, here, take a bunch of money, right? Uh, But for the Japanese, that led them to see him as easily manipulated. Ah, which he was. (laughs) Right. Which turned out pretty accurate. But it also worked out in his favor, though, because, you know, he, when he was uh, when he was about to get booted from the palace by the revolutionaries and he was going to all these other countries saying like, hey, uh, can I please have asylum in your country? And everyone was turning him down and except for the Japanese who ended up taking him in. Japan's like, yep, uh, gotcha. We could use you. Interesting. OK, so, yes, an interesting figure in Puyi shifting gears to Cleopatra. So I'll, I'll go through my bullet points again and then uh, Joe can kind of throw in things we might have missed and then i had a few other details that i just learned about this morning which is always kind of fun to keep finding new things about these people so her bullet points uh things we've talked about before she was you know the queen who needed no translator because she could speak like nine languages anybody that came in she's uh had the targaryen style inbreeding where just uh all the ptolemies had uh inbred to where her family tree was basically a, a stick of bamboo <laughs> uh nice <laughs> and uh She's just insanely smart and interesting and charismatic. And that the tales of her beauty and attractiveness are actually maybe a little bit of altered in her 
her irresistibleness was actually because she was just so darn interesting to talk to and she might not have been you know actually that physically attractive but she was also just equally mesmerizing she's actually at the battles a lot of the time she has relationships with uh mark antony and julius caesar the suicide to save her pride uh and that she was actually a competent administrator when she was finally given a chance about 10 years before everything went down with rome and then the single you know last bullet point here an easy case to make is that she is to this day the most powerful woman in history and uh you could definitely uh make that argument Joe, anything we missed or additional thoughts on Cleopatra? Yeah, you know, I think the the biggest thing with Cleopatra is, you know, that argument over her beauty as opposed to her just cunning and genius in setting herself up for success. Obviously, lots of different arguments there, I th- which I found was pretty interesting. Um, you know, even some sources argue that she might have been rather unattractive as opposed yeah, to no, right as opposed the to coin, this the coins with her picture on it it's like ooh, that's not a very attractive person on that coin but maybe this is a bad artist you never know <laughs> well and, and i also heard one counter argument to that that it was she might have deliberately had her face made masculine on the coins mm. to show power oh interesting oh gotcha. because obviously you know a woman in power was big time taboo at the time okay so i, I thought that was interesting but i also found it like you know, these are the two of the most powerful dudes in history. You know, Julius Caesar, clearly the most powerful guy at that time. Right. Surely if she was truly ugly, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> so there had to be something there. But uh, so I found that pretty interesting. I did like the, I lo- loved you guys' Game of Thrones references there. Because <laughs> you guys compared it to Targaryen. And, and immediately the person in my mind was Cersei Lannister okay, for Cleopatra. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Which, again, has the whole inbreeding thing. But, true, you know, just the way that she is so cunning with how she's maintaining her power. True, and all the family members that are getting kind of in her way, and she moves them aside yeah, without a second Disappearing. Thought. Yeah, poisoning her brothers yeah. and sisters, and yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, she's way more vicious probably than we talked about as far as uh, getting power. Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, there, there's certainly some mysterious deaths from countless sources attribute mysterious deaths to her, well, her brother, first of all, Ptolemy the 13th, uh, but then her younger sister as well, attributing that to her. And it wouldn't surprise me if they're those were just a few of the men no right and then the stuff that like lesser people that aren't even important enough to be in the history books if they were in her way exactly and she quickly got them out of her way because she was right. kind of a ruthless badass in that way yeah <laughs> yeah for sure uh the, the few other things i picked up uh this morning watching a, a, a video that she had a perfume factory that she like was uh, so into the sense that she wanted to do her own <laughs> thing there and would even like cover the sails of her ships in perfume so you would smell the approach of cleopatra before you even like saw like on the wind is like oh, you nice. literally smelling cleopatra i might have watched ship. the same video oh, okay okay <laughs> i might have watched the same video because it, it it said that it was that she coated her sails in her own perfume prior yeah. to meeting mark antony yeah for likely the second time right life. right uh i'm like that's fascinating <laughs> Yeah. And like, I guess the remains of that factory are still like, there's like ruins of that factory, like even like around that area today still. And it's clear over by the Dead Sea, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. Said? I think, yeah, we probably did watch the same video. So, so, did you, so did you also see about the, uh, the donkey milk bath? Yes, that was <laughs> fascinating. The, the, how to keep your youth. Yeah. 
is uh, is allegedly you you bathe in donkey milk. So she had like a caravan of like seven hundred donkeys, and they would take a donkey milk bath every day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but but apparently there was something to it because it said like even to like there are modern skincare products that use donkey's milk as one of the ingredients or whatever. So like no. apparently there was actually something to it maybe. But it's like the idea that like part of your uh, healthcare, sorry, skincare routine is bringing the caravan of donkeys with you when you travel. And all the people to milk them. And all the people to milk them. <laughs> right, because you know she's not out there milking it herself. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let me go just draw my own bath here. She is just kind of endlessly fascinating. And uh, it, it, despite all the upsets we've seen uh, on the tournament, well, I say that she actually wasn't the one seed. So uh, she's been a heavy hitter from the beginning and kind of. If you were going to, you know, do an initial knee-jerk thing of who do you think has a good shot of making the Final Four of the championship game, it's hard to not have earmarked Cleopatra early on. Uh, Before we kind of hash that out as far as who we think needs to advance here, I want you guys to kind of maybe take uh, take a minute and explain how you kind of see the criteria and what you're looking for for how do you decide who is the most interesting person in history, either specifically looking at these two or just kind of in general, what do you think you'd be looking for to decide who advances? Uh, okay, so number one, agency. <laughs> number two. <laughs> Sorry, Poogie. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think um, we've talked a lot about the, uh, you know, the mini hats theory where, you know, the more different things someone does makes them more interesting, definitely more interesting to research. There's a certain component of lasting notoriety so like with cleopatra the fact that she is a household name thousands of years later definitely lends credence to the fact that she's one of the most interesting people in history being unique in whatever you're doing so breaking breaking molds or glass ceilings or you know outside the box so like in cleopatra's case being a a female ruler an effective female ruler at a time and in a part of the world where that wasn't necessarily the uh, the societal norm. But also just, uh, I don't know, there's just kind of a... For some of these, there's a certain, like, kind of... Je ne sais quoi. Yeah, yeah, just a kind of, like, a, a certain feeling that these people elicit when you're researching them. Like, man, this it would be, like, so cool to, like, meet this person and talk about all their experiences. So there's certainly some things that Logan said that I would say are on my criteria as well. You know, as far as like the the mini hats was the first thing that I thought of. And that was kind of what was pitched to me by Rich when he first told me about this too, was, you know, the whole most interesting man in the world, Dos Equis commercial. You know, he's jumping out of airplanes and riding on backs of dolphins and all sorts of crazy stuff, right? So the, the mini hats facet to me is probably one of the biggest factors is, you know, okay, and you guys even mentioned this with Ramses versus Caesar about, you know, there's lots of good generals. There's lots of people that have tried to conquer the world and done this amazing feat. But what else did they do? What else made them interesting? And so for me, I said the mini hats is probably the biggest thing. But another big factor that I thought about when researching these people is if some like big budget blockbuster movie came out about this person, would I want to watch it? Mm. And, and so you know, immediately looking at both of these characters, you know, I tried to compare them to, you know, what is that big blockbuster movie that is this person, that this person would fall into and trying to find those kind of connections. But, you know, Logan talked about like agency and their long lasting effect. And to me, that doesn't, I didn't take into like their long lasting effect being what makes them interesting. You know, I think 
it certainly helps. There's certainly a reason that they have a long-lasting impact, and we still know Cleopatra today, but I don't think that necessarily discredits somebody like Puyi, who I barely heard about prior to this research, as not having an interesting life, you know? And so it, it really comes down to, like I said, you know, would I want to follow this person's life if it was a movie? Mm. And uh, yeah, I think, I think that's for me the, the biggest criteria I was looking at. I tried to come up with some sort of point system, but it didn't work. So. <laughs> <laughs> as far as the, the staying power thing goes, like, that's definitely something that we've kind of gone back and forth on. Like, there's definitely ones where it's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, this person is interesting because we know about them so much later where that might be a chicken and the egg thing. Like, okay, well, mm. th- maybe the reason that we still know them is because they're so interesting. Yeah. But also that it's not necessarily like that's the thing that we are, you know, we don't necessarily always put a lot of weight on that either because like in the first round, the Trung sisters who we had never heard about until the Vietnam episode beat Jesus, who's like probably the most, <laughs> uh, you know, most staying power ever. Wise, yeah. The most recognizable name on the entire list. Uh, right. So yeah, yeah it's, there's a, it's definitely a, a balance between all of these things that we consider. You're absolutely right. That That is something that, we got to take with a grain of salt because there's the a newness factor too. Right. You know, like, oh, we've right. all heard about Cleopatra. We've all heard about Julius Caesar. Like, right. So you have that person that you've never heard about. You're like, man, this is fascinating. Right. I think that played a huge role in in the Trung sisters beating Jesus because like, Jesus, oh, heard it. Like, you know, whatever. Heard, heard yeah. About Jesus. Old news. Know, it's like, oh, the Trung sisters were like just now reading about these like two badass warriors that are like fighting on elephants and, you know, beating the Chinese. And it's like, yeah, it's it is a, a a newness thing for sure. Right, I I feel like it's something that makes uh, like a Genghis Khan or a Cleopatra almost at a disadvantage to an Ashoka the Great or an Empress Matilda when it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, well, those are the new interesting names that people are less familiar with, and so I want to do more research that makes them more interesting. But it's like, well, no, I just know less and want to know it. But if I knew less about Cleopatra, we'd be like, holy cow, are you serious? <laughs> like, if you'd never right. heard of Cleopatra yeah. and discover all this stuff. Yeah, the staying power thing, I think, is it's easy to bring up when you're talking about someone, but yeah, ultimately, does it make them interesting? I mean, just because you've heard of someone doesn't mean they're interesting. And then conversely, there's a myriad of fascinating stories that we just had never heard. I mean, and the Chewing Sisters is a great example of that. Yeah, my criteria, I don't have any hard and fast thing. I think this whole tournament is just kind of more of an intuitive, you know, what do you feel in your gut? Who do you just who just who would you rather talk about? Who who makes you excited to talk about? Or to Joe's, Joe's point, you want to see a movie about them, and that kind of goes into the roots of this whole podcast in general. When you look at, oh well, yeah, I liked watching historical events in movies, and those were all fascinating to see. And history and movies to me, it's it's the same thing that makes me like them both. I like stories, so whether it's a great movie that makes me think and is you know even it's like just some sci-fi thing or it's an actual story from history, both of those are stories. And so yeah, who has the best story? And yeah, I, I do kind of like to think of the Dosecki's meme as far as like interesting goes. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just who is the most interesting. That's ultimately subjective, but. This is a subjective tournament. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, I, I'll go ahead and vote here and, and see who moves on to the final four. We should keep track of the voting order so that we can, we can rotate. switch. Yeah, yeah we can, okay. We can that's that's fair. Go, okay, go a different person first each time. Yeah. So let's let's have Joe go first this time as our, as our new, new host here for the final eight. 
Uh, Joe, who 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 do you think should uh, go on? Do you, do you want me to explain my pick first, or do you want me to just throw the pick out there and then we can argue them afterwards? Um, no, I, I say go ahead, go ahead, go ahead and explain it as you vote. That's fine. I would say the, the the arguing is going to be a, a moot point now because there's not there's three of us, so if, <laughs> whoever gets the most votes, it's like. <laughs> yeah, argue all you want. Um, yeah, we can still talk us. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So go. Yeah. Go ahead and explain your vote and how you kind of came to it, and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. All right. So this was tough, and I, I do think that partly for me it was the newness in the vote, and so I think you kind of already have an idea of which story I found more fascinating, and I I, I got to go with Puyi, and I okay. to me to me it was like this. I pictured the Joker, the new Joker movie. It's just this movie where you just see this guy just sadly fall into this pit of misery, basically. Like he, his life is this roller coaster where he's got this kind of Joffrey Lannister thing, another Game of Thrones reference. He's got this Joffrey Lannister thing where he's just, nobody can tell him what to do. He's just torturing everybody. And then he's forced into nothingness. You know, I, I kind of felt like the end was really what summed up his life for me is, Again, another reference, but it was almost a Jamie Lannister transition. Mm. Um, you know, not as a spoiler for people that haven't seen Game of Thrones, but come on, it's been out long enough. But <laughs> he uh, it introduces you and he's like this person you're meant to hate. And then you see this fall and at the end you're like, dang, I kind of feel for him. Right. And so that was kind of what I felt with Yi's story is like, finally, at the end, it's like he's a gardener. He is working as a gardener. And he was the most powerful man in China at one point. But then at that point, like he finally finds a wife that he actually loves. And it's not just somebody that he was forced to be with. It's a wife that he actually loves. And, you know, she apparently jokes about leaving him at one point. And it's, no, you can't leave. Like, you're the only thing I have left in the world. Mm. And it's like, it's like, dang, like that's like, it's a bittersweet ending. Like he's finally come clean with all of his crimes. He writes this autobiography where he recants about, you know, all this torture that he did and truly feels remorse. And it's like, man, like I I feel for him now at the ending, this whole time I was meant to hate him. And now I'm like, man, that's such a crappy, crappy situation that he, he finishes up in that you kind of drop a tear and crack a smile. And you're like, finally he's right where he needs to be. Man, you, yeah, that's a, that's a compelling argument. Yeah, you, did, you did a good job of selling that. And uh, do you think his recanting was sincere or politically motivated for his own safety? I, I truly do. I truly feel that it was sincere. Like, you know, reading uh, the quotes uh, from his autobiography, you know, it, it felt and, and it's, it's hard to say. No, you, know, right. you can't ever tell somebody's intentions. But to me, it felt sincere, especially, you know, that it, it talked about like him finding true happiness as the lowest point of his life is when he found finally found happiness and happiness that he didn't have when he had all the money to blow and could do anything he wanted yeah he was happier with nothing than when he had everything that's fascinating yeah yeah it's pretty good if nothing else this makes me feel vindicated in picking him over churchill last round because even even, even, <laughs> even, even I, I see logan i see logan smirk he's like he's i already like, i already know logan's not picking Pooh, <laughs> but i'm gonna argue for Pooh you nonetheless <laughs> Okay, since, since, uh, since I think everyone knows which way Logan is going, let's have Logan go next. Okay, that was a really a really good explanation. Solid case made for Puyi. Almost enough to make me want him to be in this position over Winston Churchill from last week. <laughs> uh, 
but even still, I just I can't get past I can't get past the agency thing. Like, yes, all of that is true. All of that is very fascinating. It is a fascinating story, but I just I can't vote against Cleopatra because she was just doing so much at a time where it would have been hard enough for a man to do, you know, to be a successful ruler in Egypt at that time. And she's doing it all as a woman and not like being a woman and doing traditionally masculine things like, you know, leading an army or like fighting battles. She's like using her femininity and almost weaponizing it with the, uh, you know, the perfume covered sails and it is maybe a little bit reductive to say that she's just like seducing these powerful men because she was super intelligent. But I just I think that that makes her even more interesting. So I'm I'm voting uh, I'm voting Cleopatra. Yeah, th- this is one that I actually kind of thought was going to be three to zero. So <laughs> I did too. But but at the same time, I I loved Joe's argument, like, like, like the idea of the Joker, the idea of. Yeah, the story Joe painted, I thought, was actually very, very beautiful. That was that was actually impressive. But it all what it did for me was it moved the needle from oh ninety ten in favor of Cleopatra. It moved me to eighty twenty in favor of Cleopatra. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's not going to come on next week. Really. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I I love the take. I love the take. I just uh, that was by far the most beautiful, heartfelt take of any of these people that we've had in the tournament so for far. For real, for <laughs> real. And I are both just I'm like, trying to add some emotional depth to the show. <laughs> yeah, cool story, uh, but we're still voting for Cleopatra. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's the tissue. Yeah. So no, so if we're talking about most interesting, and you just think back in the world at the time, you're in the first century BCE. Who is the most interesting person on the planet at that time? It's Cleopatra. Like, I mean, uh, literally to the people who meet her, the people who came to her court and were just blown away by the pharaoh who needed no translator and just could, the Circe-like puppet strings, the, the killing people off, the, you know, being in combat, the political alliances, the relationships with the men. She was the most interesting person on the planet at the time, and I don't even see there's much argument to there. So then the question then becomes, was she then one of the most interesting people in history? I say yes, because I th- can't think of, you look at other time periods, is there any other time in history where you could point to who is the most interesting person in the world at this time, or at this time, or at this time? And I think maybe it becomes more of a debate. And I think with Cleopatra's time, it wasn't much of a debate. It was this girl. And she she was just kind of fascinating. And I do think kind of to Joe's point, with the newness of learning about Puyi, I absolutely get that. And I think we're going to be there with probably like Matilda and Ashaka a little bit. But I think if you take that out... If you just knew nothing about either of these two people, I, yeah, I just got to go Cleopatra. It's just far more fascinating and easy to take for granted if we've kind of, you know, when you grow up knowing all about her or, or thinking you know a lot about her. So, uh, yeah, it would be two to, two to one, Cleopatra. But <laughs> I do think that was a great debate to kind of decide who advanced to the final four. That here. was the best possible way for Pu Yi to go out of the tournament. <laughs> out of his control. <laughs> to your control. <laughs> To, to you guys' credit, going into the debate, I would have never thought that I was picking Puyi either. I would have thought it was going to be 3 nothing. Uh And, you know, Rich's scale got moved to 80-20. My scale was at like 55-45. So, not heartbroken at all. You know, clearly Cleopatra is an incredible character for sure. Everything she's going on. And, and I felt like, I didn't mention it, but even both of these stories really kind of feel like a, a Shakespearean tragedy. Mm. You know, especially with the ending of Cleopatra as well. So no hard feelings at all that Cleopatra pulls off the win here. 
the Shakespeare thing is interesting because obviously she was in a Shakespeare play and uh, yeah. Puyi came afterward. I'd be curious to see the Shakespearean version of what Joe just kind of spelled out. That would be uh, yeah. a fascinating Shakespearean history would be Puyi. And actually, I guess you're thinking, like, why are people not doing Shakespeare style plays? Like, so like, you have, you, basically, we can do anything nowadays. Why is no one writing five-act plays and rhymed iambic pentameter about topics that Shakespeare wasn't able to write about. They they might be. I yeah, yeah, yeah. It's made, yeah, made, <laughs> yeah, you're right. No, right. They just don't got the clout now that, that you Shakespeare bring it up, had. That might actually be something cool and interesting to go see if it exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It gets, so yeah, there, there's, you're right. There's enough people in the world. Everybody's doing anything you can think of. Right. The question is, yeah, does it, what, at what point does something like that cross the threshold and like, oh, Okay, here's actually a good example of that, and we're gonna go see that play because holy cow! Yeah. But I'm also thinking, like, as a little bit of a writer, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to write that. Right, <laughs> 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 Ryan, the ambic pentameter might be an uncomfortable play for most of them. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but yeah. That that'd be an undertaking uh, for sure. So yeah, Cleopatra will go on to face in the next round the winner of Genghis Khan and Elizabeth the First. So two very interesting potential matchups either way, either Cleo versus Genghis or Cleo versus QE1. Uh, both of those would be fascinating conversations as well. The last thing I wanted to do here today for this episode is something Logan and I have been kind of noticing, Joe, as we went through and kind of making a little uh, joke out of is basically as you vanquish an enemy or an opponent on the tournament, you should get like some relic of theirs to carry with you into battle going forward. Oh, God. <laughs> So we have we have a few of those kind of already plotted out. So we wanted to kind of share those with you, and then also maybe we can come up with the list of. But it also carries through. So obviously Cleopatra will get not just Puyi's relic, but like every relic that Puyi had gotten previously. So basically, everyone in the final four will have eight relics <laughs> as they kind of uh, go in here. So we have a few of those I think already thought out. So let's uh, let's spend the rest of the time here plotting out what those would be, and we can. We, uh, this might take a little bit, but uh, I would say let let's start with what Cleopatra is coming into the elite eight with. So it would be let's let's start with what she has. What does she herself bring to bear? Oh, okay, got you. I see what you're saying. So so we, there's, there's multiple possibilities here. You got her ships. You got her perfume sales. You have her donkeys. Donkeys, <laughs> donkey <Yeah>. milk. <laughs> I don't I don't want to use the snake, uh, the suicide snake, because that's probably apocryphal. Subjective. Right, yeah. right. And also kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you carry around the thing that she kills herself with. <laughs> She's always ready. Uh, <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so what do you what do you think? I, th- th- uh, what are your thoughts on what what should be her relic that she carries into battle? The thing is with the idea of this is part of what makes her interesting. But it does also have to be like a, it could be more obscure too if, you know, like I said the perfume sales is kind of a fun one. Yeah, that, and that's what when you when you mentioned it, that's what I thought was it. It needs to be something that's like truly unique. Like it can't just be like her crown. Like that's like right, right, right. That's true. Like it's got to be something that's truly unique to her. And my first thought when you said it was the perfume factory, the perfume sales, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I kind of like the perfume sales because it's like the perfect blend between something that expresses her, you know, her female side, her femininity in the perfume, but it's also something that shows her cunning. And her oh, intellect, right. because she had the forethought to think, oh, this is like something that I can do to manipulate the people that I'm trying to manipulate. Um, it's a good yeah. blend of both of those characteristics of her personality. 
True, because it was definitely like a psychological thing. She was trying to influence right. people, and this was a way to influence them, and she yeah. was she was great at that. Okay, so let's go through her route then to get to the final four. So in the first round, she beat Spartacus. What would she get from Spartacus? <laughs> My first thought was be a, a, some one of his weapons, and you know, I think back to more and more to the movie, and just a, you know a typical what do they call those short Roman broadswords? There's a specific name for them that's uh, that's escaping me right now. I think it's a gladius, but I don't. I think wanna, that's right. I don't want to say right. that on record and think that that's uh, that that's wrong. So a gladius is a kind of sword. It's a sword for Roman foot soldiers. I don't know if that would have been something that a a gladiator would have carried, but I'm guessing just based on the name that <laughs> might be. Yeah, it's hard to be unique. Maybe with with Spartacus, it's something like it does, you know, that's why he's been vanquished. He didn't stand out as much, but you know, you you got his anything from gladiator times to you know his sandals, a helmet, anything maybe specifically gladiator or slave revolty, his, his you know a sort of loincloth or something. Ooh, you know Cleopatra <laughs> wearing a Spartacus loincloth might might be kind of hot. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> 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 so we think just the gladius is good enough for spartacus yeah that would be my initial thought okay. as well and we, so. hey, and we can always retcon it later if we decide you know what would be really good for spartacus we could change it later yeah it's our show <laughs> okay so yeah so then the next round and we'll kind of we'll kind of right we'll go backwards as we kind of then hit each one so the next round she right. beat, defeated the trung sisters which I, I have an obvious one in mind but i'll let logan say it first is it the elephant? Yep. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we got the war elephants from the Trung sisters, and then they beat Jesus, which uh, yes. obviously there are, pl- <laughs> there are plenty of relics. Actually, this kind of got awkward all of a sudden because the relics now became sacred to some people, and I don't want to necessarily uh, yeah. uh, be heretical in uh, our choice here. First thing that came to mind was the crown of thorns, but again, again, does that get heretical to have Cleopatra yeah. carrying the uh, Jesus's crown of thorns? So other thoughts? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know what other like is so distinctive. I mean, well, obviously right. the, cro- I, I don't the know cross, the sandals, or what other pieces. I mean, you're not going to carry the cross into battle, right? Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that's really the only other thing, and and that's maybe probably even more t- more touchy. <laughs> yeah. What about his uh, water to wine machine or his loaves and fishes machine that he used to make? Oh my god! He's got a big old jug of water that he turned into wine. Yeah, yeah. So basically, she has Jesus's wine that it was actually used to be water, or so. Ooh, what well, could you go? Jesus's ability to turn water into wine <laughs> is now what she's got. <laughs> now she's always ready for a party too. There you go. Yeah. Are, are we just sticking with the with the with the crown of thorns? I think crown of thorns. I think uh, it is more iconic. It, it is more iconic. Inevit- it's more iconic, and inevitably, we're going to have you know people submitting fan art of Cleopatra with all of this stuff, and it's probably going to be easier to draw a crown of thorns than it is to <laughs> you know draw the ability to turn water into the wine. water to wine power. Yeah. <laughs> You can throw a disclaimer on there. Sorry to whoever this might offend. Yeah, for real. Okay, so now we go to Puyi, her most recent. So, yeah, okay, so the most recent person she defeated was Puyi, which the first thing that comes to mind to me here would be his glasses. But there's other possibilities, too. So, and that was actually another thing I didn't mention is also symbolic of him being gay. Wait, what? Was that during (laughs) In Manchukuo, he began wearing dark shaded glasses, which was a symbol of homosexuality at the time. Huh. Yeah. That is that is really interesting. So that was one of my thoughts too was was the the glasses. Should have said that earlier, I would have changed my vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the glasses was my first thought, or if he really wanted to be funny, he could wear one of his eunuchs uh <laughs> <laughs> That's a good choice too. Uh 
Yeah, I was gonna go bicycle, but yeah, yeah, forget that. It's yeah, it's either gotta be the uh jar of eunuch genitalia or Manhood. or or glasses. I, I like the glasses. I think the, the safe bet's the glasses. Okay. Because of the fact that he he went like his entire childhood and adolescence without glasses, even though he needed them and couldn't see because everyone around him was telling him like, no, you're the emperor. The emperor is physically perfect. There's no way you have bad ad- bad eyesight. You're the emperor. You're you can see like just shut up about it. And then <laughs> when I don't remember the guy's real name, when Peter O'Toole gets there, he's Reginald like, Johnson. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. like, uh, no, this kid needs glasses. He can't read or see anything. Okay, and then so now we'll go backwards on Puyi who defeated Winston Churchill to get here. So what would Churchill bring? T- oh, cigar, I guess, right? <laughs> For sure. Yeah, yeah. For yeah, sure. yeah a cigar or some kind of booze. It has to be. Right, cigar or a glass of whiskey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll go cigar. Again, again, I, again I, when we get all eight here, we'll, we'll picture Cleopatra with it. But let's get, let's get the eight done too. So let's go then Churchill in the first round beat John Glenn. John Glenn. Uh, spacesuit. The suit itself? Yeah. The space suit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if we were gonna go like the space suit or like the capsule or something. Like she could actually get in like the rocket. But uh as far as John Glenn himself, yeah, you just you picture him in that would be the Mer- Mercury uh yeah. suit. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then then back to Puyi, who in the first round beat Nelson Mandela. What would we do for Mandela? Ooh. Nothing comes to mind immediately for him. Uh a uh, a South Africa Springboks hat. <laughs> the ha- the hat or the jacket? Or the, yeah, either either or, whichever one. Did they give him in the in the movie Invictus? Didn't they give him a hat when he goes to visit the team? Oh, maybe I'm just. I guess when I when I think of the Springboks and him wearing the gear, I'm picturing him yeah. with the green jacket, forgetting if okay. he even had a hat on or not. I I thought that they gave him a hat when in the movie. But they probably did. I might be misremembering that. Yeah, when I'm picturing Mandela himself in the Springboks, it's the green yeah. jacket for me. I I think since yeah, since we did Invictus, it has to be some sort of Springbox gear. Okay. So I'm going to, yeah, green jacket from the screen box. Okay, so as Cleopatra enters the final four for the most interesting person in history, she comes in with perfume sails, wielding a gladius she got from Spartacus on the war elephants of the Trung sisters, wearing Jesus' <laughs> crown of thorns and Puyi's glasses, smoking Winston Churchill's cigar, wearing a chocolate space suit. <laughs> <laughs> With a Springbox jacket over the top of it. <laughs> so if someone wants to draw that for us, that would be glorious uh, for her to have into the Final Four. And what I like about that, too, all of that stuff, none of it necessarily negates the other other of it. You know what I'm saying? It's not like she can't be riding a horse and an elephant. You, know, you almost want to make right. sure that things aren't mutually exclusive. And I, I think... I think we did that. You could actually see all these things at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm really picturing these perfume sails attached to the elephant. It's oh, like wind. Like, oh, like, like yeah, like like the sails like coming out from his ears or something. Or he, she's perfumed the <laughs> elephant's ears at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or yeah, or just some, some of the kind of like uh, Lord of the Rings, where you do have like the war elephants with the big canopy things on top. Oh, and the, right. Those almost yeah. have yeah. like things. So yeah, maybe she's just got them all all decked out. So man, I wish I was an artist. Uh, that would look pretty good. Okay, any final comments before we close this one out? I said it before, but I will say it again. I'm glad that we brought Joe on to give us that uh, that argument for Puyi. I really, sincerely, I really do think that that was like the perfect way for Puyi to exit the tournament. Because uh, <laughs> I, well, I just I feel like when we talked about him last time, it maybe seemed like I was trying to dismiss on him too yeah. much. 
But yeah, that was really good. Well, I appreciate that. I'm glad I was his fighting voice, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so yeah, thanks for listening and tune in two weeks from now when we do the matchup between Genghis Khan and Elizabeth I. And all in iambic pentameter. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.